The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We are kind of working our way through the book of Luke. Our purpose as the people of God, our purpose, the purpose of our very existence is to come to know Christ. And the purpose of the book of Luke is to bring Christ to us in a way that we can understand and see who he is. And uh, it's amazing as we grow in the Christian life how at times we're totally shocked uh, to discover that Jesus is um, different than we anticipated. Um, I, I've told you before, I used to, my mom used to give me this uh, constantly, especially the last year of her life, about uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And uh, I was reading John 15, and in John 15, Jesus says, uh, I'm telling you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. I'd never thought about this before. The joy of the Lord is the joy of the Lord. It's his joy. And the amazing thing is that that's what he's really like when you you view him in the word of God. For example, in Hebrews chapter one, I think it's verse nine, it says that when the father sent the son, he baptized him, or rather he anointed him with the oil of joy, the oil of gladness. When Jesus came into the world, if you read carefully, the accounts of his life, you discover that this was a man who was full of joy in all of his relationships. In fact, uh, in, uh, I think it's Luke 10, as well as Matthew 11, Jesus exalts there, exalts in overwhelming joy because his disciples had gone out and taken the gospel of the kingdom throughout Israel. They had reported back to him and they were so excited because they saw God work in people's lives. If you've ever had the experience where you shared the gospel with somebody and they believed on the spot, it's one of the most joyful things you could ever experience. And that's what happened to them. They saw God do supernatural things and bring people to faith in Christ. And so when they came back, they were full of gladness. And Jesus, it says, he begins to exult in God. And the word, it's the strongest word in the New Testament for um, giddiness, (laughs) Happiness. He was overwhelmed with happiness that the father had hidden this from the wise, but he'd revealed it to the to children. And uh, Jesus was full of joy and he has given his joy to us and he continues to give it to us. And he wants us to be people who are full of joy and gladness. And so in this book, as we see the life of Jesus unfolded before us as we're going through the, the book of Luke, we see what God is really like as he's revealed to us in his son. And his son is full of joy. And that's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we have the kind of relationship with him that his joy spills over into our lives, as he said in John 7, it's like this well, this wells of water rushing through us into the lives of other people. Uh, Christmas time is an interesting time because it's a time that historically has been characterized by joy. We have all kinds of Christmas uh, ditties that we sing. It's all about joy and gladness and happiness. It's Christmas time. But it's also the time when more people get depressed than any other time of the year. And the thing that will keep you from that pit 
is understanding who Christ is and actually experiencing a relationship with him. Uh, The Bible says a lot about how the people of God are characterized by hope. In fact, if you remember Peter, I think it's in 1 Peter 3, he says that, that Christians ought to be prepared to give an explanation for the hope that lies within them. I think you probably meet a lot of people today who are very much without hope. <laughs> They're hopeless in so many ways. And uh, what we should be known for, we should be living questionable lives that would cause people to ask questions. Why do you have such hope? It ain't because who got voted in. That's not what gives you hope. What gives you hope is who's seated on the throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And because we have absolute confidence in his promises to us, we know that his promises will be fulfilled. For example, John says in 1 John 3, what, what foreign kind of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And we are, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Well, that's a promise. And what John is saying is we can rejoice in this. We can rejoice in the promises of God about what he said he's going to do in our lives and in the world. The gospel's going out in power all over the world in incredible ways. I mean, there are these movements of the gospel taking place around the world that are so surprising. It's true there's a lot of persecution going on, there's a lot of suffering going on, but apart from that, it's amazing the way the gospel keeps penetrating into new places and in new ways. The reason is, is God has promised to do that. He's fulfilling his promise. What we're looking at now in Luke, first chapter of Luke, is the uh, fact that, that what, what God is doing in the unfolding of this story is he's fulfilling his promises. Now, the first promise that God made in the Bible is what? The very first promise he made in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. Do you remember what that is? that he promised that he would send a Messiah. He's gonna send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and set us free. And so throughout the Old Testament, he kept promising the coming of Messiah, the coming of Messiah, the coming of this anointed one that he was sending in the world to make things right, to save his people. And so what we're having unfolded before us in this chapter one of Luke is God fulfilling, and chapter two, God fulfilling his promise. And we're seeing how he did it. It's amazing to me how God goes to such extremes to fulfill his promises in such meticulous ways. I mean, think of it. In the Old Testament, he told them where the Messiah was going to be born. He told them the circumstances under which he would be born. And all those things are fulfilled exactly as he promised. And we should should exult in that because that tells us something about our God. He's a promise-keeping God. And he's going to keep his promises to you and to me. And I love the fact that God is so much more of a lover than we are. God has a, a, a loving heart that's so amazing. Sometimes, I don't know if you paid attention to that, uh, Zephaniah. The reason I want him to read that was very specifically for the verse 17. Because it's an amazing passage. Uh, This is another translation by Sam Storms. He translates it this way. Get this. The Lord your God is with you all the time. And now remember, he's talking to his people while they have been in rebellion. They They have been made big trouble for themselves. 
And so he's correcting them. But then at the end of his correction, this is what he says. The Lord your God is with you all the time. He is a powerful and mighty warrior who saves. When he thinks of you, now this is something a real stretch for some people to believe this. This is what scripture says. When he thinks of you, he exults in festive pleasure with great delight. Do you have anybody in your life that when they come to mind, it just brings a smile to your face? I know there's a lot of people that, that when they come to mind, it puts a frown on your face, but do you ever have anybody that, that brings you such joy that when you think about them, it fills your heart with joy? That's what he says. God feels that way about his people. Isn't that amazing? When he thinks of you, he exults in festive pleasure and with great delight. At other times, he becomes quiet as he reflects on his deep affection for you. He celebrates who you are with joyful singing. That's in a little book called The Singing in God that he quotes this. See, God sings over us. In fact, uh, even at the end of the book of Jude, it says the same thing. That Christ is gonna present us to the Father with great joy. Oh, we will have joy, but it's gonna be his joy that's expressed when he presents us to the Father. Because he takes great great delight in his work and the work that we are experiencing in our lives every day. Well, today, what we're gonna look at is two praise songs found in uh, Luke chapter one. There's no music to it. You have to put your own music to it, but there are two praise songs here, and they're glorious. And the singing of praise takes place because God is fulfilling his promise. Now, the first thing we see in this story is Mary's visit to Elizabeth. If you remember from what we've already looked at, this angel Gabriel has come and brought a message to Elizabeth, to actually to Zecharias, her husband, and he's an old man and his wife is advanced in years and she has been barren. She's had no children and doesn't expect to have any children now. And the angel comes and says, at this time next year, Elizabeth is gonna have a child. And this child is somebody special because he's the one that God has chosen and is bringing into this world in order to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He is going to announce to the nation of Israel that the Messiah they've been waiting for has come. And as you read the the gospel accounts uh, and you see John the Baptist showing up and the way that he presents Christ is truly glorious. Now, they're related in some way because Mary, the mother of Jesus and Elizabeth Uh, the mother of John the Baptist, are relatives. It doesn't tell us specifically if they're like cousins or she's an aunt and a niece. It doesn't tell us that much. It tells us they're, they're relatives. And so we know that John the Baptist and Jesus were related. And John is going to announce to the nation the Messiah. And he's going to discover that it's Jesus. Well, what happens is uh, after that Gabriel had spoken to both Elizabeth and to Mary about the fact that they're going to have a child. Both of them are impossible. Uh, Elizabeth is too old to have a child and Mary is a virgin without a husband. She is betrothed to a man, but she hasn't been with a man. And he tells both of them they're gonna have a child. Supernatural because God is gonna fulfill his promise. Now, if you look at verse 39, it says, now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry because Gabriel had told her about her relative Elizabeth, how she was with child and she was gonna have a child who would be the forerunner of Jesus. And so Mary goes 
And she went into, in, a, in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Uh, you may be, in, in your Bible, it may be, uh, the, the, word, the name Zechariah may be Zechariah, uh, or Zechariah, but it's the same thing, it's just a different spelling in the English is all. Gabriel had told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant. And so Mary knew that she was pregnant, so she went to see her. And Mary quickly made up this three-day journey up to Judea on foot to see Elizabeth because she saw that this pregnancy that Elizabeth was experiencing was evidence that what the angel said about her and about her bearing the Messiah was true. One miraculous pregnancy was a sign of the other, just as the first son would prepare the way and the work of the other, just as John the Baptist would prepare the way of Jesus. And then in verse 41, it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. I'm tempted to ask anybody here ever have that happen, but I'm not going to. I don't know what, what would that be like for a baby to leap in his mother's womb And it says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what that means is filled with the Spirit. The Spirit came upon her in power. And she knew that this was from God. This was an affirmation from God that the child that was in her leapt in joy and the presence of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it says, and she cried out with a loud voice, that is Elizabeth, and said, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She actually believed God's message to her through Gabriel that she's going to have a child. Remember Zechariah, he doubted because he said he just couldn't believe this could take place. But Mary said, how is it going to happen, seeing I've never known a man? And so Gabriel explains it to her. It's going to be a supernatural work of the triune God. The Holy Spirit is going to bring about the pregnancy. The son is going to join himself to this human nature. And the father is going to watch over her during this entire time. She had great care. Because this is the eternal son of God who's come in the flesh and is going to be born through her. And so Elizabeth was empowered to understand a supernatural significance to this, uh, this coming of Messiah because the baby testified to it. John the Baptist testified to it by his leap. I think that that's kind of a biblical basis for uh, getting a little excited when you worship God. Maybe you could leap. I went to a conference one time with my son, a worship conference, Sovereign Grace Ministries, and they all did this pogoing. I had never seen it before. And everybody was jumping up and down. And I thought, man, I, I feel a little out of place. I was the oldest guy there. And I couldn't jump two inches off the ground. But I guess it's biblical because that's what John the Baptist did in the presence of Messiah. Now, Elizabeth felt very honored by the, the visitation of the Messiah. It's a joyful occasion. She's right there in, he's right there in her presence uh, 
And so Elizabeth and Mary are are good role models for Christians today, I think, because anyone who believes that the Lord keeps his promises will be blessed. I wonder if you're going through a time of doubt about God's promises. It's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to go through these long stretches, and you're not even counting on the promises of God. You're not even thinking about the promises of God. And then you have those times where God so, in such a pointed, clear way, makes you aware of his promises to you as a child of God. For example, that he saved you forever. That he's given you a significant place in the body of Christ and gifted you to fulfill that place. That he's made you holy and righteous in his sight by wrapping you up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he's promised to keep you. He's promised to meet every need you have. It's true. He's promised to meet all your needs. And you're here. So that means he has. Now I know some of you think, oh, it wasn't him. It was me. I was laboring so hard to meet all my needs. No, it was the God of the universe. I remember talking to a missionary uh, and I was kind of lamenting that we couldn't support him financially and he said, oh, don't worry about it. You and I both know it's not you or anybody else. It's the living God who meets my needs. And it's true. The living God's the one who gives you the energy and the opportunity to make a living, for example. I I was kind of stunned by this because I was having a conversation with one of my children who was pulling her hair out because of the frustration over one of her children. And she's just so frustrated and just kind of, oh, she's just emoting. And I started laughing. And that made her angry that I would laugh. But she didn't realize, oh, what goes around comes around. I, I remember the frustration. I remember feeling just like you feel right now. But the wonderful thing is, is the word of God says, it's Jeremiah 31, Jot this down because this is a wonderful verse if you have children. Jeremiah 31, verse 20. Is not Israel my dear son? Now the context here that he's writing in is he's just like in Zephaniah. He's going after them for their sin and unbelief, their idolatry. But right at the end of it, he says, Is not Israel my dear son, the child in whom I delight? I've never tried that technique, have you? When you're confronting them over sin, your children, and you say to them, you know, my heart delights in you. But that's what God did to his children. You're the child in whom I delight. Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. So I guess it's godlike for us to love our children even when We want to hate them, or at least be angry with them in a way that lets them know you're worthless and no good (laughs) hit the road. No, that's not what God's done with us, is it? It's not what he's done with Israel. And when you look at the way Israel has responded to God in their unbelief and the rebellion, and yet he continues to be faithful to them. And then we have Mary's uh, song of praise, 46 to 56. Mary's response is a hymn. Now, we know it's a hymn because of the structure of it. It's like a Hebrew poem uh, and that could be set to music. And this is, what, this is what she says. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. 
Not only is God the Lord, she understands, but he is also the Savior. He's the one who delivers us. Mary then gives uh, a reason for rejoicing. God has rewarded her humility. He rewarded her humility. Verse 40. Verse 48, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Now you gotta understand, this is a little maiden. She's like a teenager, maybe 18 years old, but she's a very young woman. She has been engaged to a man, but she's still unmarried. And God has chosen her to be the one through whom Messiah enters into this world. Um. You know, we speak Christianese around here, so a lot of times I forget that I need to explain some things. But what the gospel is all about is that God, it just means good news, and this is the good news, that God has compassion for us. And so he sent his son into the world to save us from our sins, to restore us to a relationship with God, to be the, the, the means through which the blessings of God are poured out into our lives. And so he chooses this humble little maiden and she is amazed by it. She praises his holy name for mighty, the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. And here she is in the presence of Elizabeth who's going to give birth to a child supernaturally, who's going to be the forerunner, the one who announces the coming of Jesus. Then in verse 50, it says, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. Isn't it wonderful? Generation after generation after generation, he continues to bless his people who trust in him. I found a a sermon this morning, real early on line of one of my uncles who went to be with the Lord some years back, quite a while back. I got my middle name from him. I got my first name from him. Actually, it was his middle name. His name was Monroe Franklin Stevens. And so I heard this sermon. I heard him preach this sermon. I listened to it. It was old-fashioned preaching. He was quoting the King James Bible, the, the beautiful, a beautiful translation. And he's quoting this, and he's preaching his heart out. And I thought, wow, I hope I have the experience of hearing the next generations after me follow Christ and speak for Christ. Don't you want that? In verse 50, when he says his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. His arm is his, his arm bared. God is flexing his muscles. He is doing something powerful here, something absolutely tremendous. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this is the high point of the ages when Christ came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Almighty God comes in the person of his son. No one knew better than Mary that God exalts the humble and humbles the proud. She seemed like the most unlikely person to be used as a conduit through which the grace of God would come and yet it was her. Then in verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he sent away the rich empty-handed. This is God's way. This is how God works. He brings the mighty down and he exalts the poor and the weak. He didn't send his son into a palace of royalty 
He sent him to be born in an animal shelter, probably a cave. That's how he entered into the world. His mother is accused of being immoral because she's giving birth to a baby before her and her husband even lived together. But she was an instrument in the hands of God. And he brings the son into the world and he exalts this humble woman. Remember her response when Gabriel told her that God was going to bring the Messiah into the world through her? And she goes, how can that be? I don't understand. And he explained it to her and then she responds this way, behold... The bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. That's all he wanted to hear. That's all he wants to hear from you. I am your bond slave. I want to serve you. Verse 54, he he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. In this next section, this, that's called the Magnificat, by the way. And the reason it is, if you want to know why, it probably says it in your Bible as a little title there. That's the first word in the Latin translation of the New Testament, Magnificat. And so that became the, that became the name of this word of praise that she gives. And then the birth of John... In verses 57 through 62, listen to this. Next, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. Remember, she went into hiding because she's a, a woman of advanced years. I don't know what that means exactly. But she's past the age of childbearing, and yet God is going to through her bring a baby and so she's kind of in hiding but all the neighbors find out the community and they were rejoicing with her they were rejoicing with her the birth of John when it's time for Elizabeth to have the, her baby she gave birth to a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they came and shared her joy with her And then in verse 56, notice it happened that on the eighth day, that would be the day they would circumcise a little boy in the old covenant. It happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father because that's what you did. You named your boys after their father or their father's father or some relative in the past that was named this way and so the name would be carried on. But his mother said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. Yohanan means God's mercy or God's grace, and it's the name that he was given by God. And so she says, no, you can't name him Zacharias. His name is is John. Verse 59, it happened that on the eighth, I'm sorry, uh, verse 61, and they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. Now, we were just studying our house fellowship last week about how, is, how are women supposed to submit to their husbands? It was because it was in the text we were studying. And I was waiting for some real interesting uh, responses. In the text, it says you, they were to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And so they wanted to make sure that this wasn't just her choice because it was his responsibility and his right to name his son. And so John is the name. 
that he's given, which means God is gracious or God is merciful. Why would he call him that? Because he's announcing God's grace, (laughs) that the promised Messiah has been promised since Eden, since right after the fall, and now the promise is being fulfilled. Well, Zacharias, the way he names his son, listen to this, and he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open. Remember, he had been, he couldn't speak. In fact, it almost sounds like he couldn't hear either because they would write notes to him and he would write notes back to them. But he he was dumb, he couldn't speak. At once his mouth, because now he believes. At once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them and all their their matters were being talked about in all the hill country. Man, the, the message is going out. The baby was born and they named him John. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Supernatural. See, God's fulfilling his promise. God loves to fulfill promises that it doesn't look like there's any way he can fulfill them. He loves to do that. He loves to fulfill his promises when we can't even imagine how he's going to do it. And that's what he does here. And so he's able to speak and he's able to praise the Lord. And so now we have Zechariah's song of praise in, in verses 67 through 69. And this is what it says. And, the, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. The Spirit came upon him. The word filled used by Luke is a word, very strong word. It means that the Spirit forcefully comes upon a person to empower them and to lead them in doing the will of God. And that's what happened here. And listen to this word of prophecy. It's not new revelation. It's a word that was appropriate for this moment. And this is what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, a horn is a, a, a word that's used in the Old Testament to speak of strength, So God is manifesting his power through the birth of a little baby. After nine months of enforced silence in which no doubt he frequently thought about God's faithfulness, he finally is able to praise God. He can actually speak. The spirit came upon him. I want to remind you of something. The Bible teaches that every believer in this new covenant era, every single believer has the Holy Spirit and therefore your mouth is anointed to speak. Now it doesn't mean that you give revelation. It means that there are times when if you just pay attention to what God's speaking to you through the word of God and you get into, you get into conversations with people, you know exactly what they need to hear. They need to hear what God spoke to you through his word. And for you to pass that on in the power of the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit comes upon a person like this and they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And that's what he did. And amazingly, after nine months of silence, he speaks and he speaks in the power of the Spirit. Now, surprisingly, Zechariah, who was a Levite, he was, un- remember, he was a priest, um, he was not speaking of his own son. Uh, Like Elizabeth, she did the same thing. They focused on Mary's unborn child, predicting the son of David. 
But John, the Levite baby, is nevertheless part of this preparation that God has given them to bring the nation into this new area, this new era of blessing in the new covenant. And just as Mary did, Zechariah mentions that this salvation was part of the blessings promised to Abraham, promised to our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers. And then listen to this, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, this is Zechariah speaking, just as God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And he quotes him, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. There are Christians today in situations where it's very tempting to be totally afraid to even speak for Christ because it will cost them something dear. And yet God emboldens them. He emboldens them to speak because he's a mighty warrior and he can open the mouths of his people to proclaim the truth of the gospel to others. He's kind of alluding to two places in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3. Isaiah 40 says this, this is chapter 40, verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now what he's saying, and this is, this is the role of John the Baptist. He's going to go preaching the gospel of the kingdom and people are in the, of the nation of Israel are going to repent and prepare their hearts for the coming of their Messiah. And then in Malachi 3.1, Malachi writes, Behold, I am going to send my messenger. This is God speaking through him. I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, God is able to fulfill his promises. You need to find out what the promises are. A lot of times we go through the Christian life not even knowing that God's made these incredible promises to us as his people. That he will fulfill all righteousness in our lives and through us. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, don't you love that? Tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Wow, when I think of people that I know that were in darkness for so many years and then God in his grace brings light and brings them into the light of the gospel and their lives are transformed, every time I hear one of those testimonies, it thrills your soul that God's able to do this. I don't know if you stop praying for some people in your life because you think they're just too hard of a case. There's no way they're ever going to be brought to faith in Christ. They're never going to humble themselves and repent and turn to Christ. Oh, you may be surprised. You may be surprised because God is able to fulfill his promises. And when that happens, we'll be saying things like Isaiah did in Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and the kings of of the brightness at your arising. 
God's going to do things on this earth that the whole world's going to know about. <laughs> it's not going to be hidden in a corner. It's going to be everywhere. When they see the power and the glory of God at work, salvation is not going to come through force, but through life. Through life. God gives life in glorious ways. Then in verse 80, what he does is he summarizes John's life, uh, Luke does, in verse 80. He says, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. There was no health care. This, this, this boy is born in this little town in Judah, and he grows up and he becomes strong. And God prepares him for his public ministry of preaching the gospel of the kingdom in preparation for the coming of Messiah. God keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. In Philippians 1, verse 20, I'm not going to turn you there because I'm, I'm out of time, but uh, Philippians 1, 20 defines hope for you. Hope is having an earnest expectation that God's going to fulfill his promise. If you get hopeless, it's, there's one of two reasons. Either you don't know the promises of God or you don't believe God. You don't trust him. You don't trust his promises. All of us have had people in our lives that make us all kinds of promises they never keep. And as soon as they make you a promise, you just kind of roll your eyes and, you know, we've heard this before. God is not like that. God keeps his promises. And so what Paul says in Philippians 1, and he's writing this from prison... He's in prison in Rome and he writes this and he says that hope is the earnest expectation that God will fulfill his promises. So I need to know what his promises are. We're told in, in Romans, um, <clears throat> Romans 5.5, 5, it tells us that God gives us hope in the midst of our trials because he reminds us of something. You know what he reminds you of when you're in a trial? And you're walking by faith and you're trusting and you're turning to, towards the Lord. You know what he gives you? He gives you hope. He reminds you of his promises and he reminds you how he had given you his love when you first came to faith in Christ, how the Holy Spirit opens your heart to the reality of his love for you. And your heart's filled with hope again in the midst of the worst of circumstances. But then in Zephaniah 3.17 that we read, and here it is on the screen, um, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. He will take great delight in you. Have you ever even thought about that, that God takes great delight in you? Isn't that a foreign kind of idea, that God takes great delight in me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and guess who he's talking about? His rebellious son. I know he, knows, he loves you guys. He does, you know what I mean? I mean, I know that he loves you and he delights in you because you're the object of his grace. He's chosen you to be an object of his grace. Isn't this something how we experience this in, in having children is we love them because of who they are to us. God has chosen you to make, his, make you his children. And that's why he takes delight in you. And even though there's times when you are clearly acting in rebellion against him and because of who you are to him, he keeps treating you as a manifestation of his love for you. Sometimes that's chastisement. Sometimes it's correction, but it's always love. This is how he is. And so he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? 
but will rejoice over you with singing. It rejoice over you with singing. And then in 1 Peter 3.15, we're told, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. That means an explanation, to give an explanation to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Do you get what he's saying here? He's saying that if you live for Christ, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be living the kind of questionable lives that people are gonna ask you in some way, maybe it's not gonna sound exactly like this, but basically what they're wondering is how can you have such hope? How can you possibly have such hope? And he says, you ought to be ready to give an explanation. The explanation is the gospel. The explanation is that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And be ready. Now, I gotta tell you, I haven't ever had anybody ask me that. So I, don't, I must not be living that kind of a questionable life. I think I have one time, I still remember, I was in, on a used car lot talking to a cousin, and this guy was sitting there, and they started talking, and the Lord came up, and I was talking about the Lord, and he goes, wow, what makes you so sure of that? You really believe this, don't you? Yeah. What makes you so sure of it? That's the closest I ever got. But I gave him my defense. It's the word of God. And God always keeps his promises. That's how he is. He never breaks his promises. And so what are we doing? Well, we're waiting for the blessed hope. In fact, I want you to turn, and we'll close right here, turn to Titus, Titus chapter two, verse 11. Titus two, verse 11, right past 2 Timothy. Titus two, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared What's he mean? He's talking about what we've been reading about. It's the grace of the Lord appeared in the coming of Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly devices, desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for. So we're to live a life of response to the Father as we are looking for, anticipating, living in light of this coming event looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Can I remind you that Jesus is coming? And and so we have this blessed hope, which means a hope that makes you happy, a hope that fills you with joy when you think about it, because the hope is based upon the promise of God. He's sending his son to deliver his people. And so we live in anticipation of that. So be encouraged as as we head towards Christmas. Uh, Don't fall into the trap this world does. Your life does not consist of the things that you possess. Your life consists in your relationship with the living God through his son. And so we can praise him for this great day of celebration. Let's pray. Our Father... We are a greatly blessed people, far beyond anything we could have ever imagined. We're stunned by how good you have been to us in sending your son into the world to deliver us. You didn't just send an opportunity. You didn't just send a plan that we could follow in order to get out of the mess we were in. You sent a person, the very person of your son, the eternal son of God, to deliver us and set us free. 
And so, Father, we ask you today that we could present ourselves to you right now. We could give ourselves to you, that you could use us as instruments in your hands during these days. And every conversation we get in, we pray, Father, you'd quicken our minds, that the Spirit would come in power and give us the words to speak, to extol the Lord Jesus Christ. We are celebrating his birth, his coming into the world. And so it's a time of great rejoicing. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.